Are you ready for the latest Habs news, passionate debate, and in-depth analysis from hockey experts around the league? It's the most informative and interactive podcast about the Montreal Canadiens. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast, featured on allhabs.net, with your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadians Connection Podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is episode 80 of the Canadians Connection Podcast, the Ben Maxwell edition. And uh, I'm pleased to be joined, as always, by the editor in chief, the editor in chief of Rocket Sports Media. Can't speak today, my goodness. Uh, Mr. Rick Stevens, how are you doing on this fine day where I just looked out the window and saw a little bit of a snowfall, which, which makes me a little bit upset? <laughs> snowfall and uh, on the 18th of april um well yeah count your yeah count your <laughs> lucky stars that it's just snow falling from the uh from above you and it's not a plane like we had here in quebec this week um yeah no it's a it's a it happened on yeah thursday morning about 10 a.m um on the 40, Auto Route 40, um, uh, near Quebec City, there was uh, a landing on the, the the highway of a Piper <laughs> Cherokee single-engine plane. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, that, and the yeah. video is tremendous. The video is tremendous. Why, look, go look for the video. You have a this single-engine plane coming down as traffic is streaming along the 40. He he. Amazingly, and apparently he had some sort of uh, uh, mechanical issues that he couldn't make it to the airport. But he lands between the cars, center lane, no one injured, everything fine. Um, the the thing the thing that is most interesting and and typical Quebec driver, the car behind is right <laughs> on his tail, is tailgating until like right up onto until the plane pulls off to the right of the, the highway. Um, the video is tremendous. <laughs> I, I watched it just, just before we came on because this was a story and, you know, in the, in the world right now, there's so much news constantly coming out. So you're going to miss some things. And I completely was, uh, I did not know about this until I had mentioned to you that there was some snowfall and my goodness, that is, it, 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 the video was incredible, and and thankfully no one was hurt. The pilot did a wonderful job. My goodness. Um, but yeah, here we are, uh, episode eighty of the Canadians Connection podcast, getting you started with some airplane talk. I think that's the best ben, way to start a podcast. <laughs> number eighty, Ben Maxwell, and and uh, some may not remember Ben. Um, he was with the Canadians uh, right at the beginning of of last decade, I guess, uh, played yeah. about 20 games for Montreal, mostly some with the Hamilton Bulldogs. And he was your typical, um, two way, uh, center who had some size. And, and I mean, he was, he was skilled. He was smart. He was really hardworking. He just, um, didn't have the offense to go with his, uh, uh yeah. exceptional defensive play. Um, and was eventually traded for uh, Brent Sopel. Um, we remember Brent Sopel. Yeah. Um, and Nigel Dawes uh, uh, with uh, Ben Maxwell going to the Atlanta Thrashers before they became the Winnipeg Jets. 
Um, <laughs> and Nigel Dawes, I mean, um, I always thought of him as, you know, a AHL kind of player. But um, if you look uh, in the KHL uh, scoring leaders for the last three, four years, four or five years, yeah. uh, you'll see Nigel Dawes in the top five <laughs> every year. Like just behind Ilya Kovalchuk when he was there, and and yeah, um, I mean it's nuts, Nigel, Nigel Dawes. But yes, that that's uh, where are they now? Uh, ben Ben Maxwell yeah. still playing, by the way. He's he's uh, oh yeah, yeah. He played in the the KHL for a number of years after uh, he left um, North America, and now he's playing in the Swiss League. I think he's early thirties. So yeah, Ben Maxwell, yeah. number eighty, still playing hockey. And this comes, I mean, we're talking, we're going to be talking a lot about the KHL in this episode of the Canadians Connection podcast. And this comes after last week, uh, just to give you a brief rundown of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about Andre Markov near the end of this segment. Uh, And in segment two, we're going to revisit episode 49. We just before the season started, we had a long list of questions, about 12 questions about you know, what would the Montreal Canadiens be this season? The concerns that we had about, you know, uh, the youth movement. Remember when that was a thing early on in this season and then all the youth went away except for Nick Suzuki. So we're going to talk about that in segment number two, but we got a long list of items to get to. And uh, most of it has to do with hockey uh, overseas uh, and Montreal Canadiens prospects. A couple of guys the Canadians had interest in that uh, are no longer options because they signed extensions uh, with their clubs overseas. So uh, let's, let's get that started. Um, Rick. So last week we talked about Alexander Romanoff and the last number of weeks we've been talking about Alexander Romanoff because he is a prospect defenseman that is highly regarded in the Montreal Canadian system. And uh, it seems as though he is going to be making the, uh, the uh, trip over to North America to play for the Montreal Canadians relatively soon. Uh, we got some news about another Habs prospect defenseman this week, uh, Matthias Norlander, the 64th overall pick in the 2019 NHL entry draft. Uh, he signed a two-year deal with Frölunda of the uh, Swedish Hockey League, and uh, that is the uh, first division. He's been playing in the second division with Moto, so it'll be a step up in competition for uh, Matthias. But, I mean, I think his development is going to be something to be keeping an eye on if you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens. Absolutely. And, and going over to Forlunda, Forlunda is a powerhouse um, yeah. playing both in the, the Swedish hockey league and, and the champions league. And um, they're currently with the season uh, being canceled. They, they won the championship of the Swedish uh, league in 2018, 19. So they're the reigning champions. They've also won the champions league uh, for the past two seasons. And uh, so it's going to be a good, uh, with uh, Roger Romberg, uh, the, the head coach, um, good development. And uh, we know that's where um, Arturi Lekkonen uh, got his development, yeah. fully developed there. He, uh, he spent his his youth there and then kind of skipped the AHL and was able to come directly into the Canadians lineup. Um, just some names that, 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 that we, we might know. Uh, Joel Lundqvist. Uh, brother of Henrik, yeah, um, is the is the captain uh, on that team. Uh, Max Freeberg, who always one Ooh. of my favorites. Um, yeah, Max, Max Freeberg Free- is uh, is there. Max is still there. Was the captain of St. John's Ice Caps. 
Um, and Lucas Raymond, who is expected to mm-hmm. go in the top 10 um, in uh, the upcoming 2020 draft. Uh, he also plays for, for Lunda. So good company for Matthias Norlander. And, and uh, I think this is a, is a really good move for his development. Yeah, it's going to be a, a two-year deal. And I mean, he's coming off, uh, you know, the season that he played, the 34 games, he had 18 points. So uh, it'll be a, a nice step in his development to be playing and around those types of guys as well. that have got some incredible talent. So that'll be uh, interesting to watch Matthias Norlander. Um, so with that, there comes the news that the Montreal Canadiens uh, and the, the rest of the NHL, I mean, it's not just the Montreal Canadiens. These guys have been linked to a couple of teams, particularly uh, Konstantin Okulov, who was a highly regarded player playing in the KHL. And uh, both he and Dmitry Yaskin signed extensions with their KHL clubs, uh, Okulov with the uh, CSKH, uh, CSKA Moscow and uh, Dmitry Yaskin with Moscow Dynamo. So both of those guys would have been guys potentially to look at this off season. You know, there's always a guy, you know, remember Gusev came over and went to New Jersey. There's always sort of a handful of guys that you look at overseas to potentially come over as free agents in the NHL. And uh, particularly Okulov, who drew a lot of interest from Montreal Canadiens fans that I saw on Twitter um, I don't know if Yaskin was so much of a uh, of somebody that the Canadians fans were interested in all that much, but still an option nonetheless. That is no longer there. <laughs> yeah, um, they're both players that uh, linked to the Canadians. Yaskin, um, perhaps a better known. He's a bit older, 27 yeah. years old, and has already 300 NHL games under his belt. Um, uh, most recently with the Washington Capitals. So. Um, a little bit of interest there. I think, I think the, the primary interest was in Okulov and, and uh, uh, the, the Canadians um, scouting staff got to see him a fair bit playing for uh, the central red army team in the KHL. He was a teammate of Alexander Romanov. Um, and so with, with the Canadians keeping an eye on Romanov, they also got to see Okulov and, and, and on that team as well, you have players like um, Mikhail Grigorenko, which we remember, yeah. Yuri Seacash, uh, Nikita ah. Nesterov. Um, so uh, Okulov, I, I still, I still think that there's a chance that, um, that he comes over at some point, not I, I'm, you know, uh, next year or, or, or whenever um, it, it was said that Yaskin has a, a clause in his contract that he can um, void it. If he gets an NHL level uh, offer, it's unclear if, if Oculov has that same um contract as well but but he's represented by Dan Milstein and we talked about Dan Milstein because Dan Milstein yeah. is the agent for uh, Romanov so um, I, I don't think the door is completely shut yet um, this is a he's a very skilled player he's a great skater carries the puck well um, you know maybe a 40 to 50 point guy um, and the, the issue when, when you watch him on tape is, is his strength. He doesn't, he's not the first man in, he, he shies away from, um, the tough areas. And, and so, um, those are the question marks, but we know that, that the Leafs were after them. And of course the Leafs have been very successful last year with, uh, Mikheyev and, and, uh, yeah. 
uh, bringing in those kind of players. Um, and uh, so um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It didn't happen this time, but uh, could happen uh, down the road. And yeah, we'll have to uh, pay attention to those, those guys and uh, Okilov perhaps a little bit more than, than Yaskin. If, if Yaskin has that clause in his contract. Um, so moving on, there was a really interesting story, and this has been going on all season. Uh, it's been an ongoing saga out of Winnipeg with Dustin Bufflin, where Dustin Bufflin didn't show up to training camp. He got suspended by the team. Uh, he filed a grievance along with the NHLPA because he was recovering from a high ankle sprain. He had surgery on over the course of the offseason, and it was just announced that uh, the Winnipeg Jets and Dustin Bufflin uh, yesterday just uh, mutually agreed to terminate the contract. Um, and that has led to a lot of, a lot of hockey fans. I've seen, you know, Leafs fans talking about getting Dustin Bufflin and uh, some Habs fans as well, uh, interested in, in Dustin Bufflin services, uh, even though he just turned 35 in March, uh, it's, he's still highly touted at six foot five. I mean, right shot defenseman that moved well before the injury. We haven't seen him after that, but uh, he's, uh, he's at least uh, drawing some interest. What an enigma, though. Uh, what a yeah. strange player he is. And, um, <laughs> and just a, a very unique personality. Um, and and this, this story had a lot of twists and turns. And, and um, it, was, it was just days before training camp. Um, Bufflin told um, Dayoff in, in uh, the GM of, of Winnipeg that he had just lost his desire to play. Um, and he was uh, thinking of retirement. So Sheveldayoff said, well, I mean, is it, is, is it us? Do you want a new chance somewhere else? Is that, and he said, no, 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 no. I, I just, I don't feel like playing anymore. Um, and so um, Sheveldayoff gave him some, some personal time, some time to think. And when they met again, um, uh, he said, well, I don't know if I'm ready to retire, but I'm, I don't want to play. Um, so he was kind of all over the place and ambivalent. And, and so the Jets did the only thing they could do, and that was suspend him. Not, not, not in a, because of misconduct or not in a disciplinary way, but, but for their, their salary cap. Because all of a sudden, you know, they were already down. Uh, Sherlock, yeah. who came to Montreal, they're down. Um, uh, Myers and, and Truba in the trade with, with the Rangers. And, and uh, they needed help on their blue line. So, um, and it was only after the suspension that this whole issue about, oh, I think I have um, um, uh, an ankle issue and need surgery. And so then it got really uh, complicated. So I'm glad that, that, that there was a grievance filed and all that sort of thing. I'm glad that all of that went away they were able to come together and mutually agreed to terminate um, Bufflin's contract. He walked away from $14 million. Um, Jets now are able to, um, you know, go on without him and he's able to uh, pursue if he wants a return to hockey uh, with another team as a free agent. Um, I think this is, I mean, could Bufflin help? Um, you know, he performed pretty well with Sherrod, uh, uh, for part of a year in Winnipeg anyway. Uh, but it, it's, he's, he's not the kind of uh, player that you 
necessarily want in the dressing room. He's not the kind of player that I think that Bergevin values in terms of character. Um, so yeah. I, 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 I know Habs fans, many are Habs fans are, are crying for the Canadians to, to do something. And yes, there's a big hole on, uh, holes on defense, but I don't see Buffalo being the solution here. And, and just to play devil's advocate, because I don't know if Dustin, I don't know if I would want Dustin Bufflin on my team, but in a, in a in an environment where he is not a guy that is in a leadership role, where if he were to come here and you have the guys that you have Shea Weber, you have Carey Price that are going to be leaders in that locker room, specifically Shea Weber in, in this case with Dustin Bufflin joining that blue line. I mean, that might make it a little bit more of an intriguing option if Dustin Bufflin does in fact want to play hockey again with another team. And if he had some chemistry, if he had some ability to play with Ben Chirot, then that makes it a little bit more of a of an intriguing option. But I, I still don't know if the, the way that he left the, the you know, and, and Kevin Shoveldayoff didn't say anything negative about Dustin Bufflin through this entire time. I think he said it was Dustin Bufflin. It was Big Buff being Big Buff. But all the same, I, I don't know if he's somebody, as you said, that would fit in in the way that you would want. But at the same time, if there's leadership, if there's a leadership group there and he might not be a part of that leadership group, he might just be a supporting cast member. Maybe it, maybe it'd be worth it in that, in that. For sure. And, and I think that, that what we don't know is his mindset yeah. and, and that's what yeah. decides this, right? Um, <laughs> if he's fully committed, if he realizes that he made a mistake and, and I think it's clear that he made a mistake, um, um, if he's fully committed to being in hockey, if he just had a, you know, a, a discourage, he was discouraged because of his injury situation. Um, but if he's ready to come back to hockey, if he misses it, it, it would all depend on that conversation, but we haven't heard. From, yeah. Uh, we, we, we heard, we saw a post from um, his wife, Emily on Instagram uh, saying what an amazing eight years it was in Winnipeg and Winnipeg is a great place to play hockey. Oh um, yeah. Uh, so, um, and, and a great community to be in for hockey players. Uh, so um, I think that's what's needed is sitting down and, and I'm sure that will happen. Various GMs who have interest will sit down and kind of gauge where his, his mind is right now. Absolutely. But I mean, at 35 years old, the time isn't exactly on, on his side to draw this decision out. And, and obviously we don't know uh, when this sort of, when this is going to get back to uh, normal in terms of, uh, you know, a resumption of play. So, I mean, at 35 years old, it might not be all on, on him at this point. You know, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to figure this out, but whatever he does decide, I'm sure, yeah, there will be teams that are interested. Um, and speaking of, the Habs blue line, uh, former Montreal Canadiens defenseman, uh, Marco Scandella. He, he, he does count as a former Montreal Canadiens defenseman. It was a short <laughs> period of time, but he, he did play for them. Uh, he has signed a four-year extension with the St. Louis Blues worth $13.1 million. Uh, this was a very um, – I was surprised by this. Um, now, I think it's worth mentioning they acquired Marco Scandella after the Jay Bowmeister Bowme- uh, incident in, in Anaheim where he collapsed on the bench. And there was, I mean, I think that that might've contributed to contributed to them going and getting him. So perhaps this is as well linked to that with the uncertainty of, of whether or not Jay Bomeister is going to be playing going forward. 
And I mean, Marco Scandell, he only played 11 games for the St. Louis Blues. So this is a quite a commitment to Marco Scandella after 11 games, even though it's, it's a fairly low AAV. It's, it's still a commitment nonetheless, four years. Well, um, it's especially with, we don't know where this is all going, what the cap's going to be. If yeah. there's going to be a depression, if the, the um, um, unrestricted free agents are going to, um, their, their offers are going to be depressed because of the cap. We don't know where this is going, but St. Louis, I guess, saw uh, this is a guy they need. This is a guy that, that can add something, can be good of insurance, can, can be a, a depth move, and, and um, um, decided to go ahead and, and do business now and, and get him locked up. The, the piece for the Montreal Canadiens and why it's significant yes. and why we're mentioning it here is that when the trade was made with St. Louis, um, it was for a second round pick in, in 2020 and a conditional fourth round pick in 2021. The condition, well, there was a couple of conditions, but, but Scandella re-signing in um, uh, St. Louis satisfies the second condition. Uh, so as a result, uh, that, that conditional fourth round pick is now a secured fourth round pick in 2021, an extra fourth round pick. Added to the, I, I think the Canadians already have ten or eleven picks already for 2021. So um, that's 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 why his signing was significant um, this week. Yeah, and I mean Montreal continues to just stockpile those picks. So that's some good news for the uh, Montreal Canadiens uh, coming out of this week. Um, we were just talking about potential resumption of play, and and of course Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. We talked about it last week where they were talking about, you know, the drop dead date and, and all of those things and the continued conversation about them not leaving anything in or out. There's a, a lot of, a lot of things at play here. And uh, commissioner Gary Bettman said this week that they're going to be flexible and agile when it comes to their attempts at resumption of play for this season. And they're going to try to come up with a way that's fair to teams that were on the bubble. And in Gary Bettman's estimation, there was at least seven, of those teams. Uh, so, I mean, this is uh, obviously it changes all the time day by day, really. But uh, I mean, Gary Bettman has been saying that there hasn't been anything ruled in or out. So the resumption of play is still uh, very much a, a hot topic of conversation. And we had talked last week about some potential um, neutral sites where yeah. um, they, the, the, the teams could play without spectators uh, we had talked about North Dakota being one of those. Uh, came out this week that uh, New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire, is also um, being discussed. And the, the governor uh, of New Hampshire, uh, Chris Sununu, was asked, um, uh, is, there, is, this, is this happening? And he said, uh, uh, and that is about them hosting some NHL games. And he said, there is truth to that. I've had discussions about that. Don't know whether it's going to happen, but we're talking. Um, so that seems to be something that's, that's being discussed. I, I think that um, uh, Gary Bettman was on uh, Fox Business this week. Um, yeah. Mornings with Maria, and um, uh, he did a Skype thing early in the morning, and and 
<laughs> he looked like he had just woken up, actually. Um, uh, and he said, uh, he said what you just reported, that uh, they're being flexible and agile. Um, they don't have a problem with playing into the summer. Um, he said when we return, he mentioned again this, uh, it has to be fair for teams and it has to have some integrity to our game. So all these wild suggestions about, you know, 24 playoff teams and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, he confirmed about the neutral sites. Um, and he also talked that there's some agreement has been made or there has been discussion with the NHLPA that a training camp uh, of sorts is going to be needed two or three weeks to um, with the players, not, not having skated or having access to the training facilities, they're going to need some time to um, uh, get in shape for, for games. Um, so, you know, all possibilities um, will be considered, but a lot of this is going to depend on, on the salary cap. And, and um, you heard uh, many, many places they're talking about you know i think there was uh, they had signaled the range where the salary cap might end up next year but but it um uh, i think that's out the window now and talking about rollback yeah um and um you know brian burke mentioned uh, what's going to happen if if um um as some have mentioned, and we talked about the chief medical officer for the NFL saying that, that, um, you know, sports teams are not likely to return until 2021. Um, uh, so does that mean a $40 million salary cap? Um, and, and again, it comes to, like we talked about with Scandella, pending UFA, what's going to happen to, um, the decisions that these UFA players are going to have to make, Petrangelo, Krug, um, you know, normally they're going to want to see what they, they get on the free agent market. And I don't know that it's going to turn out like that because these are guys that, as Brian Burke said, are at the wrong place, wrong time. They're, they're yeah. looking to cash in and, and they probably won't be able to come, uh, be able to cash in uh, because of the, 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 seller cap issues the the clawback as it were the the uh so um you know brian burke himself said um uh he he wouldn't allow his kids to go back in an arena um if until there's a vaccine and he won't be going to a press box in an arena until there's a vaccine um, yeah and know that that that's been talked about in terms of 12 months 18 months 24 months so um, there's lots left to happen here. And, and uh, I think, you know, uh, because many places in the U S have, have, they've been talking about getting to their peak that uh, we're close to things being normal. I, I think we're a ways away from being normal at this point. Yeah, it, it appears that way. Um, however, if something happens and play does resume in short fashion, you know, in a couple of months or whatever it is. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens got good news this week at the very least uh, on a conference call. Tomas Tatar said that he has recovered from the upper body injury that had him return to Montreal just before the, the play of the, the NHL season was paused. Uh, so at least if Montreal Canadiens and, and the NHL returns this season, they will have their first line left winger 
back in the fold. So that is, that is good news for the Montreal Canadiens. Absolutely. Thomas Tatar having a, a, a very good year and, uh, um, and he, he was, um, you know, did some, um, answered some media, um, uh, questions and and did a Q and A on Instagram with yeah. uh, with some fans answering some fan question. He talked about uh, working. At, he has his own gym, so he's working out in his his own gym and and uh, playing PlayStation with his teammates and <laughs> and uh, checking in on Netflix. So it was nice to uh, hear in his own words from Thomas Tatar. Yeah, he starts off, uh, this is a clip here that we're going to play. It starts off with him explaining where he got the nickname Tuna. So that's an interesting one. And we'll just wait here for it to, uh, to load up. But it's a very interesting conversation, uh, touching on multiple different topics, as you said, including PS4, Netflix, what he's been watching. And uh, as I said, Thomas, uh, Thomas. Uh, okay, let's do this. Uh, send me your questions, and I'll try to answer as many as I can. Uh, the first guy who I ever heard it from was uh, Thomas Holmstrom, and since then, my every teammate called me Tuna. Uh, favorite TV shows? Oh, I have so many. Uh, Narcos, Breaking Bad, Friends, How I Met Your Mother, Big Ben Theory. There's just a whole lot. For PlayStation, my favorite games are uh, either FIFA or Call of Duty. Thanks for all your questions. This was fun. Uh, We miss you. Can't wait to see you all back at the Bell Center again. Stay safe. Ciao. That was great to hear from Tomas Tatar. And and yeah, Thomas Holmstrom, that's not a source that I would have imagined that nickname coming (laughs) from. It just doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem right to me. (laughs) Very creative, uh, even yeah, though they're very serious on the ice, yeah. Yeah, those Detroit teams. I don't. I didn't ever think that they would. They would ever be like that. They just seemed like machines to me. But, anyways, uh, we'll move on with. Uh, as I said off the top of the show, uh, Andre Markov uh, this week announced uh, that he will be retiring from professional hockey. And uh, last week we kind of speculated about that. It was at 41 years of age, you could kind of know where this was going after it came out that he wouldn't be re-signing with the locomotive of the KHL, but we didn't know anything at that point. It was just pure speculation, Uh, but it was confirmed this week. And um, what a career for Andre Markov. And uh, I can't help. And I know that we talk about this every time we talk about Andre Markov, but I saw the Montreal Canadiens tweet out from their Twitter account, Oh, 990 career games. And it just, it's, salt in the wound that this guy didn't get to a thousand games he just needed 10 more even if you did what you did for Tomas Lukanich where he was just around for a handful of games to get to a thousand if you for whatever reason didn't think that you know Andre Markov could hang at the NHL level I mean you could you could have done that but I uh, but I know that they signed Carl Alzer and there's a whole thing but it's it's really it's really difficult to uh to to see now that he's retired and that he's at 990 career games it just it just sort of uh sort of hurts a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the, um, you know, who knew that it was March 28th, 2017, um, that that would be his last game. Um, Yeah. um, uh, At that point, he had, he had tied Gila points for um, um, most points by a Canadian defenseman that both of them being, tied for second on the list behind Larry Robinson. And, um, 
And it was just, um, it was only a matter of time. Uh, Andre Markov was going to pass Gila Point uh, on that list. Andre Markov was going to get his thousandth game. And, and um, how rare is it for uh, NHL players these days to have spent their yeah. entire career with one team? Um, and and uh, he gave so much um, uh, to to teams that were were not necessarily that great, but uh, he was the, the, the one player who was known um, by his teammates for making them all better. Um, he was, uh, I think, uh, perhaps underappreciated uh, by, by many in the media, uh, many fans, and I think that was be- because of his uh, quiet nature. Uh, he that that isn't that isn't because he didn't have a personality um he certainly did and I, there was a, uh, an article on on the, the canadians website uh back from i think it's 2015 that they've reprinted and it gives you a, a glimpse into his uh, fun personality and and what a good dad he he is and um uh, but he never, it's something that he never showed uh, to the media. He was very protective. He was very private um, and very serious on the ice, but certainly one of the best Canadians defensemen uh, to have ever put on the CH. And, and um, you know, you, you, you've got to argue top five. You've got to argue yeah. somewhere top five defensemen of all time, Larry Robinson, Guy Lapointe, Doug Harvey, Serge Savard, and Andre Markov. Um, some would make the argument for Chris Chelios or um, I don't know who else would be in that category, but, but I, I, you know, Andre Markov is there for me and, and much in the same way that Saku Koibu is underappreciated. I think yeah. the same kind of applies to, to Andre Markov and, and it's just such, it, 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 it just should have never ended the way it ended uh, with, yeah. with, um, Mark Bergevin, that's that's one of one of his uh, biggest mistakes. The way he disrespected Andre Markov, the take it or leave it offer, the one offer, uh, you know, putting out there between two players, who's going to get it for? I mean, it 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 should have never been that way. Uh, one of the the players who um, super skilled, super smart, able to read plays able to uh we talked about it before i marvel at at watching him in practice and and him changing the spin on the puck depending on the hand of the player that he was uh feeding uh remarkable absolutely remarkable um i remember the lockout year um going and watching um andre markov and at that time he was coming back from from an injury and he was on the ice he and lars eller um, and, and he was very good for, for Eller. He was very good for, for, uh, the young players. Um, um, uh, one, uh, where, where he spent a lot of time with them, but he was, um, I saw him on the ice with, um, a, a parachute. He was dragging a parachute, um, as he, as he did his training and Lars Eller was, <laughs> struggling to keep up to and of course there was an age difference there um, yeah <laughs> Andre Markov was in very good shape uh very determined very serious um uh, just just a, a 
uh, one of the, the legends of the Canadians and like Saku Koivu, uh, as you've argued, who deserves his uh, jersey in the rafters of the Bell Center, I, I would say the same about Andre Markov. And just I was thinking about Andre Markov, and, and Eric Engels wrote an article about how he had gotten his teammates paid over the course of his career. And you think about, you know, Sheldon Surrey and Mike Komisarek and and Mark Streit and P.K. Subban, who are all guys that benefited from playing uh, with Andre Markov in their careers. And another one was Mike Camilleri, who talked about his passes like you just did, where he would change the spin and he had the ability to thread the needle on passes and make passes that nobody thought he could make. But to me, it was always the 06-07 season where, you know, Sheldon Surrey had 26 goals, 19 of which were on the power play. And then the next season, you're thinking, okay, yeah, we still have Alex Kovalev and that one-timer, but who's going to fill that void? Who's going to be the guy that takes on a little bit of that? And he didn't do it in the exact same way that, that you know, uh, that Sheldon Surrey did with the booming slapper. But we found out that Andre Markov was hiding a little bit of something in, the, in his uh, bag of tricks with the slap shot that he had. And, and we just didn't really know that it was there. Only scored six goals in 06-07, scored 16 the next year. That was his career high. So he stepped into a role that he wasn't filling necessarily. And he did it with, you know, great production, 16 goals. And, and, you know, he still got all those assists and and made Mark Streit some money that year too. So it's, it's just a fantastic teammate. And it was great to be able to watch uh, Andre Markov through the years. And, uh, and certainly, yeah, it's, it's tough to think about the way that it ended with the Montreal Canadians, but thinking just going back today, I was watching some, some videos on YouTube of, you know, the mid two thousands when he would orchestrate that power play just so beautifully. So uh, it's just fun to think about, about that when you're thinking about Andre Markov. Um, well, you Rick, mentioned uh, about yeah. Sheldon Surrey and, and Mike Commissarek. Um, PK Subban, I think that yeah. um, PK Subban never looked as good um, once he was separated from Andre Markov. Ryan O'Byrne looked very good with uh, <laughs> in a pairing with, with Andre Markov. He was remarkable and, and, and certainly, as you said, uh, uh, made his, his teammates look, uh, look very good. And the forwards as well. Uh, Max Pacioretty yeah. talks about, about uh, him and, and uh, others as well being just a, a, uh, an incredible uh, teammate. Well, Rick, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss uh, the questions that we had heading into the season. And we did have a question about the power play. We might get to that. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look back at the questions that we asked entering this season uh, about the Montreal Canadiens and the 2019-2020 iteration of the Canadiens. So stay with us. We're going to be right back. The Canadians Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked out hockey cave or fanning. Well, don't just show your friends. Show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. 
Then log on to showyourhaves.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. If you're a business owner looking for the perfect platform to reach a targeted audience of customers, Rocket Sports Media is the solution. Our global hockey community provides unmatched social media reach to an attentive demographic of sports and entertainment fans. We can provide visibility to your company, helping you to engage and leverage this prime group of potential clientele. In addition, we also offer sponsorship opportunities for fan events and featured areas of website content, giving you name and logo recognition. Visit Rocketsportsmedia.com to contact us for further details and information regarding this unique marketing opportunity. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. And we're back. We're back here on the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Follow me on Twitter at Joe Whalen19. You can follow Rick at All Habs and you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, so, Rick, uh, we asked a bunch of questions at the start of this season about the Montreal Canadiens and the season that was to come. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't see any of this coming. We, there was no questions about the, about the coronavirus, but there's a lot of questions about. <laughs> The Montreal Canadiens, the youth movement, uh, the the job that Mark Bergevin did in the offseason. So we're going to go back and just sort of uh, look back with the 71 games the Montreal Canadiens have played. I think that's enough of a, of, a, of a sample size to answer these questions and whether or not these were valid at the time and whether or not they were pertinent over the course of the entire season. Um, so beginning with the youth movement, because that was a big topic of discussion at the beginning of the season that very quickly evaporated. There was no, there was no youth movement, even though the Montreal Canadiens did very little to add to their team. They sort of gave the impression that they would be giving these guys opportunities. And very quickly, it became evident that those guys were not given a whole lot more opportunities than, you know, the Asperi Kadiami comes to mind. Now he had issues with injuries, but he wasn't given much more opportunity than he had the year before. So it was evident that it was just sort of not going to pan out with a youth movement. Um, but, but what did you make of Nick Suzuki being the last guy standing out of that youth movement? Well, it, it's, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, the, these questions came out of, uh, a podcast, podcast 49 that we had on September 14th. And it was at that time we were looking at uh, training camp um, and, and trying to figure out um, what's this team going to be like. And, and, um, and here's the questions we have about the team. And I think it's like you said, it's important. Is the season over? We don't know that the nine games may be played out, but at 70 or sorry, 11 games, um, yeah, uh, but at 71 games, um, I think we have a, a, a reasonable idea of, of 
being able to answer these questions and 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 it at you know the the off season uh if we remember after the failed the disastrous uh, <laughs> offer sheet to Sebastian Ajo um then there wasn't much, not a lot done and when Bergevin was asked okay you blew the the offer sheet, but but why didn't you you know go ahead and try and fill some of the holes? His reasoning, his his quote was, "I wasn't adding players because we have to keep the path paths open for our younger players. We need to, to create opportunities for them to graduate, for them to take a bigger role, to take on responsibility, to move up in the lineup." And as you said, I don't think that happened. Um, uh, Jesper Kotkaniemi, um, you know, he he didn't um, get any more responsibility at all. In fact, uh, even less, um, um, and seemed to tangle with with uh, Claude Julien. Um, Fleury, Kale Fleury, seemed to be off to a great start, and then um, Julien soured on him. Ryan Paling, I don't think, ever got an opportunity at all. He was, you know, playing six, eight minutes uh, when he was finally called up. And, and he found that as a player who had come from a, a college situation where he was relied on and playing top minutes, he found that really difficult to adjust to. Um, and But Nick Suzuki, and I think, you know, the Canadians each year when the coaching staff gets together, puts together, you know, under Julian, we've seen... Um, him start in training camp with a plan with, with even uh, lines and then sticking to that very different under uh, Tarion where Tarion was more apt to let things happen and gel and come together and try all kinds of different things. Julian seems to form formalize a plan in the summer and then try to stick to that. The year before the plan was all around Kakanyemi that, he was going to be the guy. He was the Canadians needed a, a big story. They they gave um, Kakinyemi the ball and he ran with it. And and for the entire season, even though there was some of us, uh, you and I included, that thought he should have been returned to Finland, we were uh, later confirmed by Saku Koivu that he felt the exact same thing. But this past year, this past summer, it was Nick Suzuki. They decided, and we saw it even in in. Um, uh, training camp. Nick Suzuki was the one who got the good linemates, not Ryan Paling. Um, they were focused on Nick Suzuki, and um, up until well, there was some hiccups, and and up until the end, uh, there was some some negative comments from the head coach about Nick Suzuki. But for the most part, Nick Suzuki was his guy. He decided it in the summer, and he stuck with it through the year. Uh, and gave Nick Suzuki all the opportunity that he wanted. And to his credit, Suzuki never failed him. Never, yeah. rarely failed him. Um, but, you know, uh, the questions that we asked, the, the three questions that we asked surrounding this, what was the philosophy and strategy? And, and that was it declared to be a youth movement, didn't come out that way. Do the Habs have the best prospect pool in the NHL? Maybe not the best, but but you know, top five, top ten, sure. Uh, how are yeah. they using that prospect pool? How are they developing the prospect pool? How are we? Tra- how are they transitioning it? We talked about that uh, a fair bit, and we talked about uh, can the youth handle the pressure that's placed on them, 
is Claude Julian the right coach to guide them? I, 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 I'm pretty sure we, we only reinforced over the, the year that um, the transition is the issue. The transition is where the, the Canadians always run into difficulty, and that's their responsibility of their, their NHL coaching staff, and they still aren't doing a good job other than with the, the one they anoint in the offseason. Yeah, and, and listen, obviously, I think I've talked about Yasperi Kotkaniemi a lot on this podcast. We both have. Uh, Ryan Paling as well. I think that those guys, okay, you can you can say that they had their issues with injuries and maybe that, you know, they needed to, to find their footing a little bit. I, I still I wouldn't agree with that, but I can see the argument at the very least. Kale Fleury, to me, is the one that never made sense to me when it happened, when he got sent down to Laval. And it still doesn't make sense to me why at some points during the season, even when he was in Montreal, he was languishing in the press box when he was a big physical right shot defenseman that seemed to me to fit perfectly on that third pair behind Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber. I understand. Listen, he is, he's not fully developed yet. There is still development that needs to take place. He was making some mistakes. There was times where he would, you know, he wouldn't make a, a nice first pass out of the zone. I understand that. But you need to give this guy time. And to me, I didn't, I never understood why he was, he was treated the way that he was. And I remember having the conversation where he was talking about why he thought he was sitting out. And he said, well, it could be because I'm a young guy. So that to me is the answer right there is if, if Claude Julian is the, the right coach to guide this team. No, he's not. Because <laughs> if the only reason the guy is sitting out is because he's young, then that, that, that just doesn't, that doesn't jive with me. Yeah, well, I mean, um, was, but, was yeah. Fleury a, a better uh, option than, than Mike Riley? Of course. Christian yes. Foley? Yes. <laughs> Xavier Ouellette? Absolutely. Um, it just didn't make sense at all. Yeah. So that leads us naturally into this question. And this was one that we asked at the time, coming off of, as you mentioned, the, uh, the debacle that was the offer sheet, the AHO offer sheet. Did Mark Bergevin do enough to adequately fill the holes to assemble a playoff team and you look at the additions that he made. And I think, you know what, you can throw Nick cousins in there if you want. I don't really think that that makes much of a difference at the end of the day. Uh, you've got to pick out of them, which, I mean, that's, that's something, but you went and you got Ben Sherrod because you wanted a left shot defenseman and he plays physically and, you know, Ben Sherrod actually didn't look, you know, he had his moments during the course of the season. Yeah. There were times where, he was probably playing a little bit too much and maybe punching above his weight a little bit in terms of minutes, but he looked, he looked pretty good. He looked relatively good. Keith Kincaid was the other one. And we had the conversation because Keith Kincaid sent the bet. He set the benchmark of what he wanted to do this year. He said, you know what? I want to come in. I can have 20 to 25 starts. I believe that I can do that. And uh, it became evident very quickly that Keith Kincaid was not able to do that. And Carey Price has probably, I think he was on pace to shoulder more of a load this season than he did last year. So what, what, with hindsight, what did you make of the 2019 off season for Mark Bergevin? I, I, you know, a couple of years ago, he had his worst uh, last off season was uh, as bad. I think, um, uh, you know, there's there's his his apologists who say, well, he tried. <laughs> That's, that just doesn't that just doesn't cut it. Whether you're a player or whether you're a general manager in the in the National Hockey League, yes, uh, 
Um, he he made a, a, a really lame attempt, a lukewarm offer to Sebastian Aho, and that, that crumbled as everybody expected it would. So um, his on his list in the offseason, we talked about it being necessary for him to um, uh, have a number one center in place. That that's one of those those holes to assemble a playoff team. Didn't happen. Needed a top four scoring winger. Didn't happen. Needed a top uh, pair left defenseman. Didn't happen. And needed a reliable backup goaltender. And that was that obviously didn't happen. So um, did Mark Bergevin fill the holes? No. Uh, not even close. Um, uh, it was, it was one, uh, you know, either his worst or second worst off season. And I don't think there should be any debate about that. Yeah. And I think when you look at specifically Keith Kincaid, and for me, this is where, and, and listen, I don't have anything against Keith Kincaid personally. Um, but at, we, we both said, we both said that we thought that Charlie Lindgren was the option for the Montreal Canadiens. He was the guy that they had. He was the guy that has been down in Laval, down in St. John's before that. And he's been preparing for this opportunity. And he, he was prepared for that opportunity because when he, whenever he was given a chance and, you know, people like to look at goals against and save percentage. And those are the only stats that they'll pay attention to for a goaltender We've talked about that. There needs to be a context behind those numbers. If you're not watching the game, if you're looking at a box score, you're not getting the whole story. And Charlie Lindgren, there were times this year where he was just hung out to dry. I remember the the, the infamous Tomas Tatar one behind the net where he just wasn't communicating with Charlie Lindgren at all. Uh, but, I mean, he made some huge saves in, the, in some of those games. You think about the one in New Jersey uh, making big saves on Nikita Gusev. You think about uh, the glove save against the Carolina Hurricanes. Whenever he was given an opportunity, maybe it wasn't always the prettiest, but you never expect that with a backup goaltender. You just need him to give you a chance to win. And Keith Kincaid did not do that. Charlie Lindgren, he did that in the start that he had. If if you need a reminder, and um, yeah, <laughs> Chris G, yeah. Our, our our friend Chris G, Chris pitched a, a, a story that he wanted to do for his Habs notepad. He wanted to focus on Keith Kincaid. And, and I, in we were, when we were talking about it, I said the thing that bothered me most and likely bothered the Canadians was not necessarily the goals that, that Keith Kincaid allowed. And, and they were bad. They were bad, but it's the way he played when the puck didn't go in the net, how out of position he looked, how out of control he looked, how, his movement was not, um, his position wasn't good. His movement wasn't controlled um, and how he was bailed out time and time again. Well, uh, Chris put together a very good article this past week on allhabs.net on, on uh, Keith Kincaid's final game as a Canadian. And that was against the Flyers. Uh, and he's included a number of clips and it's worth watching to remind yourself um, just how bad uh Keith Kincaid looked uh, before he went to um, Lavelle. And then once he was there, uh, I, we were at his first game. Um, and, and we remember that didn't the first period uh, he allowed for, I believe um, uh, in Syracuse. So um, yeah, th- this was a, a, a disaster all around. And, and as was Antiniemi the previous year, when we argued against 
bringing back Andy Niemi. So um, backup goaltending issue has not been uh, not been resolved uh, by. Uh, uh, oh, and you think even to Montoya and others hasn't been resolved yeah. by Bergevin in his tenure. So another thing, just uh, as we said with Andre Markov, you were sure that the Montreal Canadiens were going to have a pretty good power play. That was Markov could handle that. Uh, that has not been the case the last two years. Now that said, the power play was marginally better this year. It was it was better. There were, it, it had better moments than it did last year. Last year was, you know, uh, really really bad. Thirtieth in the in the NHL this year. They're up to twenty second, clicking at about seventeen point seven percent. So that is an improvement over last year. Um, however, it, you're still in the bottom half of the league, and that's not where you would like to be. And we talked about at the beginning of the year that they were going to move Shea Weber to the Ovechkin slot, and that was going to be the fix to this, you know. And, and he had that game against the uh, LA Kings where he scored that one out of midair. That one was really nice. <laughs> but there hasn't been that consistent power play that you would really like to see and that we really haven't seen since the departure of Andre Markov. And that's, that's what you need is an Andre Markov. You need a, you need yeah. a quarterback for the, for that power play. They tried to give that role a little bit to Jonathan Drouin. He's not, he's with all due respect, he's not smart enough uh, to, to make those plays. Um, they, they, the Canadians need uh, a, a, a top a top pairing defenseman uh, that pairs with Weber, and part of that is is uh, to help their power play, um, and as well, uh, you know, as a, a top four scoring winger. Now we saw Kovalchuk uh, moved into that role, but he didn't um, necessarily contribute on the power play the way we we expected he might. The Canadians' power play, as we know, was very good on the road awful one of the worst uh, in the league yeah. uh, at home and so um yeah the 22nd moving up from 30th the previous year um isn't what they were looking for as we said in our question can can they both be top 15 in the league at, at, on special teams that is power play and penalty kill um it didn't happen they were 19th this year on the penalty kill and that's actually worse from um 1819, which was uh, they had a 13th uh, place rank. So uh, regressed uh, on the uh, penalty kill. They improved a bit on the power play, but not enough. Yeah. And and just before we, we had to break again, you just mentioned Jonathan Drouin. And, you know, the sample size for Drouin isn't huge. It isn't, it isn't 71 games. He did miss it a period of time. It was basically the start of the season to November, December, and then he was injured, and then he came back briefly just before the pause of the NHL season. So have we seen enough of Jonathan Drouin to say whether or not, and I mean, I guess we could have this conversation because we were talking about both Drouin and Max Domi potentially shifting over to the wing. So with those two guys, for Drouin, have we seen enough to say whether or not he's going to reach that rather lofty potential that people thought that he had when he was drafted? And for Max Domi, I mean, this season, whenever he was shifted to the wing, he kind of lost. It looked like he lost a little bit of interest. And and that's unfortunate. Uh, that's something they have to sit down um, with Domi. He can be effective on the yes, yeah, on the on the wing. Um, but but um, 
he just seemed to take it personally as if there was, it was related to his status somehow as being a center. Um, we know he's, he's uh, one of the worst face-off, and he acknowledges that he's one of the worst face-off guys on the team. He said that, that he'd be even worse if, it, if not for Arturi Lekkonen, who bails him out and, and uh, <laughs> captures the puck that, uh, he, where, and, and gives him a win where he shouldn't have one. He, he's best suited on, on, the, on the wing for sure. Um, and, and that would help the Canadians in their, in their lineup. Um, but, but Domi was one of those players who, um, the previous year had a career year. Um, yeah. Thomas Tatar, uh, Philip Deneau, um, Jeff Petrie all had career years. And Andrew Shaw had a career year. Um, and, and we asked, uh, will there be a regression from that, from those career years? And we saw it probably most marketedly with, with uh, Domi um, in back into that uh, range where maybe that is his wheelhouse. Maybe that's the real player that he is. And, and when we were looking at, at this year and, and um, you know, everyone assumed that because they had, they had gotten uh, 96 points, the Canadians in, in 1819, that that was an automatic, that was a baseline and they were just going to go, above that. And we wondered if, um, if there would be a regression be- because not all of them could maintain the pace of their career years. And that's exactly the way it, it played out, unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, I went into Drew this and, season. Yeah. Sorry, you, yeah. your question. I, I missed your question. Your, the question about Duran, I think we've seen Jonathan Duran. I think we know what he is. <laughs> 15 points in 27 games is not, uh, an elite, um, the elite player, uh, as I've said, one of the biggest mistakes was the Sergachev Duran tr- trade. Um, we saw this past season, Duran started great, and and um, and that's what he's done before. But even before he was injured, for the two weeks before he was injured, he went on a bit of a slide. When he came back, he just was a ghost. Didn't look interested, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of had to end the season um, replicating what he had done the, the previous year. And and for that as well, I mean, you have to look at where he was playing to start this season. He's playing on the third line with Kotkaniemi and Yoel Armia. And, and perhaps against lesser competition, you bump him up in the lineup and, and maybe that exploits some aspects of his game. As you said, he did have a, a pretty good start to the season. And I think that that relates to where he was in the lineup. But yeah, uh, at the start of the season, I was prepared for a regression for Max Domi. I was like, if, if he gets 50 to 60 points, and maybe if Drouin gets 50 to 60 points, then that will make up the difference. And you could potentially be in the same sort of ballpark as you were last year. Uh, but that did not look like it was going to be the case. And yeah, those career years, it's it's hard. When you, re- when you have so many guys that have career years, it's hard to replicate that and expect better than that. And that's why... Uh, to go back to the discussion that we had at the trade deadline, I mean, are you going to get the years that you have gotten to this point out of Tomas Tatar and Jeff Petrie next year? I, I, I don't know if you if you will. And I mean, at that uh, at the same time, at that point, they're going to be UFAs at the end of the year too. So it's difficult to duplicate career years. And when you have a bunch of them like Montreal did last year, you might overachieve a little bit and maybe with hindsight that's what happened in 20 in 2019 so uh it's still very interesting conversations that we've had at the beginning of this year and now after the 71 game 
benchmark that we have, uh, whether or not that's going to continue and, and close out the 82 game schedule, we don't know, but it's enough to have a look back and, and see just how important these questions were at the start of the season. Let, um, let me squeeze so in Rick, one yeah. more. Let me squeeze in yeah. one more. And, and I know we were uh, pressed for time, but our, our number 12 question was, will injuries impact the Canadians more than last season? And a year ago, it was um, the Canadians had a very light uh, injury uh, impact and, and uh, 163 man games lost. Uh, that was eighth fewest in the National Hockey League. And we were worried that with an increase back to the normal, that would have an impact on the team because there wasn't enough depth. And that's exactly what happened. It wasn't a it wasn't a an injury filled season, the Canadians, uh, 183 man games right in the middle of the pack, kind of an average, uh, uh, injury laden season. Uh, but many are, are pointing to that, that, uh, it had an effect. Your lineup has to be able to absorb injuries. They're part of the game in the NHL. And I mean, that goes back to, did the general manager have enough at his disposal to start the season to handle those injuries. And I think that the answer was pretty clear is after three or four injuries, if you're that depleted and you're crying that, you know, that was the reason why you, you started losing games, then I think that that might be a little bit of a, of a tell. Um, but we're going to take a quick break here on the Canadian Connection podcast. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk about a little project that we've been working on and uh, we'll let you know all about that after this. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. We are specifically interested in individuals who have education and or experience in the following areas. Sports writing, translation, editing, forum administration, social media administration, multimedia, graphic design, web development and user support, event planning, and sponsorship and marketing. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are located in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the Laval Rocket more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net.
And we're back here on the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Uh, so, Rick, we were talking about Andre Markov and the legacy that he has, and perhaps he's not appreciated as much as he should be. And maybe that's because of the time in which he played for the Montreal Canadiens, the 2000s. 2000s Montreal Canadiens aren't looked back in the same way. They aren't revered in the same way that obviously those Stanley Cup championship winning teams are. But that doesn't mean that we haven't had some really great players suit up for the Montreal Canadiens like Andre Markov. And so with that in mind, we've been working on a little idea that we were going to do a a bracket challenge, sort of like a, a March Madness type challenge to determine not necessarily the best players to play for the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think that that's limiting to that because we kind of know who they are. And we've mentioned two of them already in Zaku Koivu and, and, and Mark and Andre Markov. But I mean, I, if you have a special connection and, and we've, we've gone down and, and got our 16, we're going to do it by forwards, defensemen and goaltenders. If you have a special attachment to a player and maybe you don't necessarily think that they're better than the guy that they're up against, but you have, uh, an affinity for them, then you can vote for them. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best player in the matchup. So we want to thank our, our friend Mike, who was on the podcast a number of weeks ago uh, that went to the NHL draft with us. Um, he came up with this idea about doing, and it's been all over. He didn't come up with the idea for the bracket challenge. We've seen a few of those, but the idea for a 2000s, uh, Habs 2000s player bracket challenge, where we determine who are the guys that have played in an era where the Montreal Canadiens did not win a Stanley cup that we should appreciate a little bit more. And maybe it's, you think that they, these guys are underappreciated. Maybe you think like me, that some of them deserve to have their numbers raised to the Raptors. Maybe they're just a random player that you really liked. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter whatever reason that you vote for a player. And we're going to be posting these polls from the Canadians connection, Twitter account at Habs connection. Um, it doesn't really matter why you vote for those guys, but I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation, a really interesting poll to do to see what guys people liked out of the 2000s Montreal Canadiens, you know, from 2000 right up till now, who have been the most impactful, who have been the fan favorites. I mean, and we do have, by the way, we have the three divisions, as I said, forward, defensemen, and goaltenders. We also have an interesting wild card. Uh, division that we're going to be getting to that includes maybe some guys that were here for a short period of time but had a big impact or you know maybe some sandpaper guys that you you know that wouldn't qualify normally (laughs) but that is a that's something that we have uh, coming up in the coming days we're going to be posting some of those polls well I got a um, an email from uh, Dino uh, this week and he talked about his his favorite players and they kind of span the uh, over a number of decades, but some of those, you know, un, unsung kind of players, players you wouldn't necessarily think of. And, and to him, it was players like Jimmy Roberts and Ryan White and Darcy Tucker and, yeah. and uh, Jeff Hackett and, and those. And, um, and, but, but you guys have, and, and full credit to, to you and, and Mike for getting together and, and bringing this idea together. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and we'll, we'll have Mike on and, and we'll talk about the results of this. I think they'll be fascinating looking at the two thousands and, and, um, and, and seeing which players that you really appreciate. Um, It's a, it's a good way of, of, uh, uh, you know, there's been a lot of reflection over the, the, 
the time that the the season has been paused and and I think uh this will be a good way for for Habs fans to express some of the reflection that they've been doing. Absolutely. And as we said, you know, in this time, we want to look back on the uh, on the Montreal Canadiens and, and some guys like Andre Markov, who even though they had great careers, perhaps are overlooked in the annals of Montreal Canadiens history, where there are just so many great players and championship winning teams that maybe some guys who deserve a little bit more attention sort of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. So that'll be a, I think you're right. This will be really fascinating. Um, uh, Rick, another interesting thing, and I saw this this past week, uh, it's going to be every Monday from now until June 15th, TSN will be airing uh, Montreal Canadiens games, uh, regional Montreal Canadiens games, rebroadcasting them. And they've been doing this, they do this for every team that they have the regional rights for. Um, but the Montreal Canadiens games will be on Monday. And uh, yeah, they started this week with the uh, December 10th uh, 2019 game at Pittsburgh where they scored four unanswered after falling down 1-0. I remember the Tomas Tatar goal from that game for some reason, just because he fanned on it, but he still beat Tristan Jari somehow. It was weird. Uh, but uh, next week they're going to be playing the game from November 15th, 2019 at Washington. So, and then they go on and there's going to be the game where Carey Price uh, uh, tied Ken Dryden for all time shutouts. So there's going to be a lot of, of great games coming on from now until June 15th. So if you're looking for a little bit of hockey and we mentioned last week, the, uh, the broadcast rankings of the Montreal Canadians broadcast on TSN finished top 10. So, I mean, that's something. <laughs> well, um, you know, this is uh, the Canadians connection podcast. Uh, we want you to keep your distance, but stay connected and, and, um, um, we we love hearing from you, whether it's uh, email, whether it's uh, on social media, or uh, via our text line. And I, I love getting all the texts from you. Uh, you know the Rocket Sports text line five eight five three Rocket five eight five three Rocket. Continue to to text us. Continue to interact with us on social media, uh, and we'll get through this together. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, as Rick said, I mean. Social distancing. Keep practicing it. We're, we're going to get through this, but uh, we need to do it together. So um, thank you for tuning in to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. We'll be back with you next week at 1 p.m. Eastern. That is 2.30 Newfoundland time. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Connections and visit allhabs.net.